How are you guys all doing? Wonderful? Wonderful? So am I, and I'm happy to be here with you. Just in case you're wondering why I put along a big standing mirror beside me on the stage today, um, I thought it's really good for moral support. Because when I do this, then I, yeah, see, I just get, I can encourage myself really easily. You can even high five like this. Yeah, good job. No, that's not true, actually. Hopefully it'll fit into an illustration a little bit later. But uh, we'll trust the Lord for that. In all seriousness, I want to preach out of, uh, or I want to speak to you out of uh, the book of Colossians, Paul's letter uh, to the Colossians this morning. And uh, it's kind of, uh, we're going to be focusing on chapter 3 a little bit later on, but uh, the first couple points I just want to give you uh, will just be kind of a a small overview uh, of the book and uh, use it as a springboard into our last kind of application uh, this morning. So I'm going to read from Colossians 2, verse 20, up to chapter 3, verse 4. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Chapter 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. God, I do want to thank you for the opportunity to bring your word and to share, Father, what you've put on my heart. Lord, I pray that we would see you this morning, we'd see you alone. God, I pray that, um, that you would reveal your word to us in our individual lives where we need you the most, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would transform us into your likeness. You would spur us on, Father, that you would encourage us and equip us this morning. We look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Would you have your way? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, it is a a pleasure to be here this morning and to bring the word to you this morning. And and, uh, my family likes to tell jokes. Owen's already smiling. And maybe I should rephrase that. I like to tell jokes, and my my family likes to laugh at me. Um, But we have this thing in our family... um, where we used to do, and I, and I have this feeling like I may have shared this with you before, but we have this thing where we sit around the table at supper time, and then once it's done, um, we used to indulge in this game of make faces and then watch the other person copy you making strange faces. And that brought a lot of joy. Some were better at it than others, and so it, it generally would consist of someone starting off, okay, do this one. Wow, wow, wow. And then you pass around the circle and you got to laugh at the other people who were distorting their faces. And if you could distort your face really well, you had an unfair advantage. Uh, so we've matured and we don't do that anymore. We've grown up. Some people are disappointed. Oh, you know. Uh, we've, we've grown a little bit and now we've, we've kind of switched to lame jokes. It's lame jokes around the freezing table afterwards, which could consist of jokes such as, uh, where do dogs go to get a new tail? The retail store. Get it? 
Uh-huh. Uh-huh. This was a good one in the, in the beginning. Uh, what do you call a guy with a rubber toe? Roberto. Sorry. So, you see... This could, you know, this could backfire me because you could realize that I have actually a really lame sense of humor. But, so now we're, we've transcended to funny faces, now lame jokes, and then we've gotten to these things called deep thoughts or just like puns. You know, we're stepping in and up a notch. You know, I, I turned 40, so you have to just take it to another level. Um, and I came across this pun the other day. that You know, it actually made me laugh out loud, and that could reveal how... It was actually a deep thought, not a pun, but it... Uh, someone posted this on Facebook. When people respond to texts with the letter K, like, hey, do you want to go out later? K. Uh, I wonder what they must do with all the spare time they save by not typing in the letter O. You know, things like that. Or how about, this one for Tony. Uh, it's funny that pirates were always going around searching for treasure when they never realized the real treasure was the fond memories they were creating. You know, it's a deep thought, right? See, some of you are catching on. One more? Because I can feel it. You're getting it here, you know? Uh, somebody told me how frightening it was, how much topsoil so, top we're losing each year. But I told that story around a campfire and nobody got scared. No? Lame? Okay, okay. I'll stop. I'll stop. You're probably wondering, why is he telling these lame, lame jokes and stories? And there is, there is hopefully a, a point to my madness. And that was, uh, the Lord's really been speaking to me about the gospel this year. He's been speaking some truth in my heart uh, really specifically for me. And I was running on the treadmill uh, a couple months ago when it was minus 20 and not safe to actually be outside running because of frostbite and other things. Um, And he spoke this. He spoke, okay, this is one last one, but it's serious. He spoke one last deep thought to me. And that was, if you're ever on fire, try not to look in a mirror because that would probably make it worse. And it sounds kind of morbid, um, but strangely enough, bear with me this morning. God really started to speak to my heart, and he kind of stopped me dead in my tracks that morning. And uh, as dead on your tracks as you could be on a, on a treadmill without face planting and getting tracks on your face. Cause <laughs> so let's just call it, yeah, for what it is. But he started speaking three things to me. And number one, he spoke a warning into my heart. No, it wasn't don't play with matches. It was a little bit deeper than that. Number two, he spoke an encouragement to me. And number three, he challenged me. And this morning, I want to share a little bit of the encouragement with you. And I want to share a little bit of the warning with you. And I want to challenge you with what the Lord laid on my heart this morning. We've been singing about it. We've been singing. We've been, I, didn't, I didn't talk to Lisa about what I was preaching on, but we've been singing about it all morning. And... Uh, Man, um, Charlotte and Candice, they could just come preach a whole section of my message this morning about forgiveness. It's wonderful how the Holy Spirit lines things up and confirms words in your heart. So I want to give you encouragement. I want to start with the encouragement. Talk about a warning, and then I want to challenge you as a body in Christ this morning. The encouragement. As I was reading through Colossians, I just it just became, I just saw this 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 pattern that Paul preaches to, to the church there, and he encourages them, encourages them, is encouraging them in the first couple chapters of this book. And then he sets out this warning, and then he sets out this challenge. And so that's, that's why we're in Colossians. And, and, you know, for me, here's the encouragement. I wish it was Easter every day. 
You know, you know, have you ever heard people say, man, I wish it was Christmas every day? Like, that's just a natural thing to say. I, I don't know if people say it so much in Steinbach or Manitoba because there's ramifications to being Christmas every day, and that would be severely cold weather and sore backs shoveling driveways. But it's a natural thing we say, man, I wish it was Christmas every day. And you actually hear songs, right? Like leading up to Christmas, two months, the songs start playing in the, in the stores. You hear it, you're like, oh, Halloween must have just ended because the songs have changed in the stores. And it's all about white Christmas and Santa Claus is coming to town and gifts are coming. But you know what? I would submit to you that we need to have that type of mindset with Easter. You know, I don't think you can sing about the cross enough. I don't think you can sing about the blood of Jesus enough. And you can't think about the blood of Jesus enough. And can I, can I just encourage you today that the gospel has come here to Calvary Chapel? My word, please do not receive it in any way as condemnation or rebuke. Rather, just a spur you on in Christ Jesus this morning. And I want to just read the words of Paul. Because Paul encourages the church at Colossae. Is that how I pronounce it? Colossae? Right? And he says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed the whole truth, how a world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it is also among you. Church, the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to you. It has come to this place. It is bearing fruit. And Lord Jesus, thank you. It is increasing. And may it increase even more. He goes on to say, May you be strengthened with, all, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us out of the kingdom, sorry, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Colossians is a rich book. It's a rich book of some glorious truth. Glorious truth. He goes on to say in in verse 15 in chapter 1, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him, for Him. and And He is before all things, and in Him are all things, sorry, in Him all things hold together. Praise Jesus that the creator of the universe, I mean, we just drove to Canmore and to Banff, and I don't know if there's, you know, a, a... better place in Canada. I haven't been east, so if you've been east and there's a glorious place, then you can talk to me later. But as far as my traveling goes, you drive out of Calgary, you can start seeing that mountain range, and it just reeks. It just, it just reverberates the awesomeness of our Creator God. Right? And that same Creator God who created the heavens and earth is in you. That's where your help comes from. That same God sent his son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life and become his sons and daughters. It says, you've been made alive. This riches of glorious mystery in verse 27, chapter 1, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Can I just encourage you, church? You have redemption power flowing through your bones. You have redemption power flowing through your veins. 
It has become part of you. You've been made alive with Christ, he says in chapter 2. You have been filled with him, verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Hallelujah. Amen. This is encouraging, encouraging book. This is encouraging, encouraging truth. I was saying in the first service, Jeremy, you know, he came here from a, I don't know what kind of church, Pentecostal church. And he, this would be about the time it would be time for a praise break. Right. And I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure if I said yes to him right now, he would go up on the drums and we would all start a cappella. What a mighty God we serve. Woo-hoo! Can I, can we give the Lord a praise offering this morning? Amen. Amen. Easter should be every day on our hearts. And I'm so grateful to the Lord for the simple thing. Maybe it wasn't so simple, Tony, but this, this piece of art to remind us every time we come to church. I mean, we've had this amazing reminder about the glory of Christ's return. And now we have this wonderful reminder of the love of Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed on the cross. That's what Paul's saying to the church here. He's just like, he knows these are these are brothers and sisters in the Lord, but he and he reminds them that the gospel has come. But be encouraged, this is who you are in Christ Jesus. This is who you are. This is how you to, are to live. Resurrection power flowing through your body. And there's your encouragement, church. That's your encouragement for this morning. But Paul suddenly changes and he, and he, and he stops in, in verse, put my glasses on, verse 16. And he starts moving into this warning, this warning for us. Apparently in the, in the church at that time, there was a dangerous teaching in the context of lowest, uh, local Jewish and, and pagan folk belief. Um, it could have been like a shaman-like figure that was arising. We read in verse 18 about, about a, someone puffed up with reason by his, sen- by his sensuous mind. There was this false teaching, this, this dangerous teaching that was coming in uh, for people to call on angels for help, protection against evil spirits. Uh, Paul talks about them being a, a self-made religion. Uh, in that context, in that section, uh, he, called, he talks about asceticism, which uh, is a lifestyle characterized by abstinence from worldly pleasures. Um, it's, it's typically uh, adopt a frugal lifestyle characterized by renunciation of material possessions and physical pleasures, time spent fasting while concentrating on the practice of, re, of religion and reflection upon spiritual matters. But then he also goes to say there's also something in verse 23, he talks about in addition to this, there's this severity to the body, which, which can be fasting, uh, but may have gone past that into self-mutilation, similar to what may be practiced in some cults. So some, coming into, he's preaching the gospel and encouraging the church, but he's warning them of this, this, this dangerous teaching that's coming in that is actually taking them from a love and belief and a stance on the cross and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's changing, and it's, it's kind of moving them to this self-made religion or self-reliance where we take the things in our lives and instead of looking to the cross, we start looking to ourselves 
Like, oh, maybe if I cut myself, or if I fast, or if I deprive myself of this, or I do this, or I do this, turns away from the truth that Jesus Christ paid the price. And there's, there's good things to self-denial. Right? There's good things to, to putting away things and, and to taking times and fasting. That's, that's true, right? But there's these subtle things, and even today's society, subtle things that are trying to creep into the church that are actually distorting the truth of the gospel and just changing things to enough so it stops being about Christ and it starts being about Greg. If I was a little bit stronger, this would work well because I could see my muscles. And... But I, we can't all be Rob. <laughs> I know, right? So while these things may appear to be spiritual, they actually promote nothing more than confidence in the self rather than confidence that's rooted and grounded in the word of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says this last, this last line, this last sorry, verse in this section, which has really gripped, just really gripped me. These things we've been talking about, this self-made religion, the self-asceticism, the self, the self way of thinking. These things have indeed the appearance of wisdom of promoting self-made religion, asceticism, and severity of the body, but they are of no value to stopping the indulgence of the flesh. How much value? Zero. No value. If I want to walk with this guy who loves to give me high fives, who thumbs up when I thumbs up, this guy here, these people you see in the mirror, right? No value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so we have this battle. Paul's saying, listen, this is who you are in Christ. Okay, you've been rooted and grounded in the cross, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who raised from dead, who gave you his Holy Spirit, made you alive in him, canceled your debt, transferred you into his glorious kingdom, gave you an eternal inheritance. This is creeping in right here. And that's the warning. Guys, this is trying to creep in. But this, this has no value. This is zero value in living out a godly lifestyle. Zero value. And so he goes on to his challenge in chapter 3 is where I want to spend the rest of our time. And this challenge of what does it look like to live a godly lifestyle? How do we walk out a godly lifestyle? In what ways do we walk out a godly lifestyle? Are we going to walk in the, in the flesh, in, this, in our self, our self-mortification, our self-depriving? Or are we going to walk out in the truth of the gospel and he encourages us he says if then you have been raised with christ in other words he's reminding them okay if then all this was true what i said in verses one and two if that's true you've been raised with christ seek the things that are above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on the earth on the earth greg's on the earth set my things above on christ jesus Things above, living every moment in the light and the beauty of Christ. And so we have this, we have this 
we have this challenge, we have this call from Paul. It's like, okay, no, be warned about self. Live with your mind fixed on things above. And that's the battle. That's, that's the call. And you know what? I think we do really good. Here, here, this is the challenge that God put on my heart. We, I, I love the cross. And I say I love the cross. And you know, I think it's really natural for us to love the cross when it comes to your past. Amen? We get really excited about the cross when it comes to our past. Man, I've been set free. My chains have been broken. My past is... Ra- all sin is gone. And we sing about it. I get really excited about it. It's, it just feels natural, right? The other thing that's really natural, I find, is that we, we apply the cross to our future. One of my favorite scriptures, Oh, see or see or oh, what love the Lord has lavished upon us, that we would be called children of God. If you know anything about me and my past, that's a big deal. That I would be adopted as a son by the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords, and not only be adopted, but I would now attain a spiritual inheritance that I would reign forever with him in glory. Like, that doesn't just apply to me. That applies to everyone that's sitting right here. And that's really exciting, isn't it? Man, that's good news. That is amazing good news. And again, we sing about it, and we love it, and I live it. I don't know about you. It gives me peace when I put my head, my head on my pillow at night. But I wonder, I wonder how natural it is for us to think that way when it comes to our present day situations. Is it as natural and glorious? Because I, I would suggest to you today that the same way the cross transformed our past and the same way the cross transformed our future The cross transforms our today. And we are called to live each day, each moment in the light of Jesus Christ and be warned about the subtle things that are trying to take our focus off of who we are and onto something that's a distorted practice as in self. And so Paul goes on, he says, and Paul goes on in chapter 3 with four just really practical areas that I want to share with you this morning. Four really practical areas where we, we can apply the cross or we can apply ourselves. So four actually really practical areas where we are to apply the cross. And I want to, want to end with that or land the plane or begin to land the plane. Maybe that's a long landing. We'll see. Number one, I would suggest that Paul says in, in chapter 3, in verses 5 to 7, that we are to apply the gospel. We apply this, this looking to things above to ourselves, to our own lives. And he starts off by saying, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put to death. That's a big statement, isn't it? Put to death. That speaks to me of sentencing. It speaks to me of action. There's something we're called to do. And what are we called to do? Put to death. Like that's the ultimate penalty that you can, that you can face is the death penalty, isn't it? And when you're going to put something to death, you need to evaluate, don't you? There's, there's, there's a process that you, you need to go through to evaluate. Uh, a, what does this thing need to die? And B, what does it take to kill it? 
for example, a fly. A fly? Do you need to kill a fly? It all depends where the fly is, right? Flies are outside. They're fine. I'm okay with flies being outside. They're just, they're just waking up nowadays. They're, pretty, they're, they're fine. But when the lights are off in my bedroom and it's time to sleep and there's one of them that thinks I'm an airport and it needs to land on me, that fly needs to die. Right? I have determined. I have lined it up with my situation. I have judged death penalty for you, fly. Right? So what happens? I mean, you stop at nothing, right? It's like, Michelle, she's, she's fast asleep. Doesn't matter. Lights on. <laughs> Boom! The lights are on. As soon as that light goes on, what happens to the fly? It's like he didn't exist. It's like, where do they go? You were, just come back to me now. I dare you, right? So after you determine that it, it, it needs death, you need to determine what? How to kill it. Well, at that point, I would venture to say it doesn't matter what you would use. You pro- I would use a shotgun for all that, that sake. That might cover the grounds pretty good. Except you're just going to create more work for yourself. But no, you, you, you determine it needs to die. What does it take to kill it? It takes a fly swatter. And you put that thing to death. My, my daughter Taylor, man, when she puts a fly to death with a, with a fly swatter, the OCD in me goes crazy. I'm like, you just spread guts everywhere. Why don't you just, just flick? You know, just a pew. Anyways. I tried to tell her I wouldn't use her name in the sermon. It didn't work again. I'm sorry, Taylor. But there's this process where when it comes to our lives and things that Christ wants to put to death or things in our lives that are there that may be good or, very, or may be bad, there's this tendency that we want to evaluate things according to ourselves. Right? Instead of maybe evaluating them by the word of God and applying the gospel to them. And I would submit that as we apply ourselves to our struggles, number one, we get a distorted image of God's creation. We, we don't see things the way Christ sees things. When I, when I think about things that, you know, here that he may be talking to put to death, when I see them through my eyes, it just becomes about self-satisfaction. I don't, I don't necessarily see, the, see them the way that Christ created me to see them. And I look at them and I start going, oh, Greg, yeah, you, well, it's really not that bad. You know, you're a good guy. And you've been working hard. And you can covet that, that guy's stuff. It's not... It's, it's okay. I guess. Right? And we don't see... You know, we kind of lose sight of the fact that Paul had said in, in, in chapter 1, he says that you know, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. I don't know if it's you, but I lose sight of it when I start applying myself to my situation. As soon as I go to the cross, I go to the Word, I'm like, oh, that's how you created sex to be? That's how you created woman? That's how you created provision and money? That's what you meant it for? Oh, Jesus. And it opens our eyes to the truth. So when we apply the cross for personal lives, when we, instead of ourselves, we start to see things for what they really are. We, see, we start to see things as Christ has called us to see things. The second thing that happens when we start applying ourselves to the cross, number one, number two, when we, when we apply ourselves to our struggles and try to conquer the things of the flesh, we already established that Paul says, you know what, you want to use yourself, you want to make a, uh, a self-made religion when it comes to, to putting things to death? What's going to happen? They have no value. No value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. But conversely, we know that when we apply the cross, we know we have victory. Why? Because the price has been paid. Jesus Christ has won the victory. 
we have victory. You see, to kill a fly, you need a fly swatter. Right? To kill a lion, do you need a fly swatter? No, you probably need a bigger gun than I have ever held before. To kill sin, what do you need to kill sin? You need the cross. You need the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot do it. There's nothing in you that can defeat sin outside of the provision Christ made for us by dying for us on the cross. The blood is the blood of an incarnate God. It's worth infinite. It's value beyond all thought. Infinite must be the evil and guilt that demands such a price. When you measure sin beside the cross, you look to the cross, man, why, why did the cross have to be so severe? Why did, why did Christ have to suffer the way he did? Why did he have to bleed? Why was his body broken the way he did? Because that's what it took to kill sin in our lives. And I'm submitting to you today that as we walk out, your flesh, yourself, will not be able to do it. So we apply the gospel to ourselves, to our own lives. Number two, we apply it to the church. We apply it to our relationships. I, uh, yeah, I, I didn't do a really great job uh, in the first sermon uh, about trying to do a good impersonate, impersonation of Smeagol or Schmeagol. Is it Schmeagol or Smeagol? Smeagol. Smeagol had this really, you know, my, my impression of Smeagol is he loved to talk to himself, right? Like it was, it was having these conversations with himself all the time. And, you know, like... Only want to kill us, master. That's a horrible impersonation, right? But he has these these conversations. They don't like you, Smeagol. Oh, you know, oh, you know that there was this there was this thing happening. Yes, yeah, now other people are going to laugh. Now you won't be able to concentrate. I'm just going to stop right there. But there's this, this self that kept getting in the way, and and God's just laying this laying this this this. This image on my heart when I thought of, like, when you're on fire, don't look in the mirror. It's just going to make us worse. When you read this passage about loving the church, you read things like bear with one another. Forgive one another. We had a great mini-sermon preached on that. Uh, Love one another. Uh, teach one another, admonish one another. There's this one anothering that God has called us to play. So if, if Paul is stating you need to forgive, you need to bear with one another, you need to love one another, then the truth must be that people are going to tick you off in life. Amen? There are going to be hard situations in life where we're called to one another, each other. And so I, I called Darian up before, and I hope he's okay with coming up again because he does a really great impression of Smeagol. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay? But I'm just going to pretend that I'm offended with Darian. He was okay with that. I'm offended with Darian. When I one another Darian in the flesh... All I see is me. Amen? I go up to Darian, I look at him. Guys, tick me off. Greg, you deserve better. You know what? He doesn't actually like you. This is why, this is why he did that. Because he doesn't think you sing good enough. Mm-hmm. He, hates the, he hates playing bass for you because you, oh, you're just a lame leader. And he doesn't like your clothes. He thinks it's funny that your hair is receding and you've got lame jokes. You taste, all I see is myself. And the enemy starts building off of it, right? And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. 
And this, it, the issue escalates, and I never, I never see things as I'm called to see them. The Darian, and then I take Darian and I say, why don't you come over here, Darian? But then I take the situation and I apply the gospel to the situation of bearing or forgiving one another. Now when I look at Darian, what do I see? I see my Savior hanging on a tree. Saying, you know what? In your sinful state, I died for you. I forgave you. As I hung on that tree, even while I was pierced through my hands and my feet, and a cor- I was whipped, I had a crown of thorns, didn't say one word of negativity to anyone. He didn't curse. He blessed. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about the Father. Reconciliation through his own blood. That is challenging. Isn't it, church? We take our eyes off ourself in this situation of just being offended and we start looking at it through the, through the gospel. The other thing I start seeing is, man, you know, Jesus did that for you, Darian. He did that for Darian. Now, what's, what's happening in his life? What's God working on? How is God transforming and changing? Maybe that's why this happened this way. Maybe that's what is making me feel... Maybe... And then as, as we heard this morning, you forgive. As your father forgave you, and man, it is miraculous. It is life-changing. We heard the testimony. You can sit down now, Darian. Thank you. And we're called to do that with bearing one another, forgiving one another, loving one another. Man, people need to see Jesus in the way we have relationship with them. Amen? They need to see Jesus. And I can testify the same thing. I had a situation in my life and last Sunday, I got the opportunity to apply the gospel to the situation. I said, enough is enough. Called up this person. We sat down. We talked for over four hours till quarter to one in the morning. And I was released. Lies I was believing about myself, about that person, I was set free. I've talked to this person since then or just even just texted. I just, I think good things. I don't think the, I, I have been set free where I was held captive by trying to live this life in the flesh and trying to battle against these sinful, these indulgences of the flesh. And I'm going, Greg, this is about you and I hate you and it's all about you. And Christ said, no, this is about me. I paid the price on the cross and I started looking at it that way and I pursued and, oh, Jesus, praise the Lord. And that's the challenge for you this morning. It's the same way with yourself and it's the same way with people and the relationships around you. God's called you. We need to look through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It changes everything. It changes everything. Thirdly, Paul challenges us to apply us to our homes. Seven times in this last section, he uses the word, the Lord. So in the Lord, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. So wives get challenged. To live out their marriages in the light of the gospel and not yourself. I'm not going to go into depth, but it's interesting because culturally, you know, I love that line, as is fitting to the Lord, because the call to submit to your husband isn't culturally, it's as fitting to the Lord. 
culture, culturally, there was an expectation of obedience and slavery. It was, there was, you know, like it was, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the way the Lord would ordain it to be. And so, I, you know, I was impacted by, we watched The Passion of the Christ this, this Easter. And I never caught it before, but I was really impacted by Mary as she followed her son to the cross. And it was, it was like she submitted herself to the Lord. Submitted her, I mean, I know her son wasn't her husband, but you know what I'm saying. She submitted. She didn't barge into the authorities and say, stop and cover her son. She didn't take any of the, the beating for her, but she just followed her son right to the cross because she knew her son was a king of all kings. She knew he was Lord. She knew that there was a plan and a purpose and there was a submission that was beautiful. It was beautiful. Husbands, you're called to die. How do we husband in the light? You know, when we... The other, the other day, I, I did some good mirror time in our marriage. And it was a confession. It was just brutal. Tuesday, it was a Tuesday after work, and I was like, no, and it's time to spend some time in front of the mirror, and I'm enjoying this mirror because it's all about you. High five. Good. You know, and... I knew that I'd spent mirror time because the ramifications of mirror time come out when you're saying goodnight, you know? It's like, and we all know what the Bible says, right? Don't let the sun go down. We let the sun go down. And, and uh, the next day during my run, the Lord's like, Mr. Friesen, it's time to apply the gospel to your marriage and die to yourself right now. So the first thing I did, I ran in the door. I ran my seven miles, whatever it was, ran to the door all sweaty. My wife is doing her hair and her makeup in the bathroom and I barged right in there and probably preferred I wasn't in there. But I sat down and I was like, Michelle, can I just confess and repent to you for spending time in the mirror? I wasn't dying to you. I wasn't dying to the Lord. I wasn't loving you as Christ loved the church and dying for her. Amen. Sweet reconciliation. Boom. A call to die, husbands. A call to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Young men, if you're not married, start practicing it right now. Just die to yourself. Just die to yourself. Find a friend. Die to yourself. (laughs) Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Just love the Lord. Just live in the light of the cross. Where it says it pleases him. You want to please the Lord? Just live your life in the light of the gospel. Moving on. Lastly, Paul calls us and challenges us to apply the gospel to our jobs. I would submit verse 22, verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 22 to, four, to 20, uh, 4, verse 1. This may be easier for some of you than others. Some of you may be in jobs right now that, is, that you find quite glorious and quite wonderful. Thank you, Jesus, for his mercy and his grace and his provision for your lives. I've personally been in situations where I had no idea why I was there, why I'm at this job. Why does the Lord have me here? And it's so easy, it's so easy to start thinking of myself in those times. 
those seasons, man, I had conversations with myself. I smeagled it up real good. You know? Woe is me. And I probably looked just as ugly for doing it. Sounded ugly. I looked to the cross when it came to a call on someone's life, a job to do, and we know that Jesus only did what the Father told him to do. Jesus only said what the Father told him to say. What an example. What a, what a challenge for us as we walk out this lives, walk out our lives, whether it's personally uh, with our relationships in our homes or at work, to have that same mindset. It's like, you know what? And you see Jesus, you know, if, could you take this cup for me? But no, oh, your kingdom come, your will be done. Man, I've, I've had jobs that felt like, a, I had like a job that felt like I was, had to drink a cup. It was hard. It's not easy. But when you start applying the gospel to it, questions start coming to my mind like, Lord, why do you have me here? Is there a relationship? Is there someone I'm supposed to share the gospel with, be a light to, be salt? What are you trying to do in me? The jobs in particular that I thought were the hardest, I didn't want to be there, they actually prepared me for the next place that God put me. Instead of, woe is Greg, and having these wonderful conversations, you turn and you, you, start, you start looking at Jesus and why he has you there, and you start, you start getting the picture. You start seeing the big picture. Thank you, Lord. Be on mission. Rob, I think you said that, didn't you? This morning, be on mission. Someone did. Matthew 28, the mission of going to all the nations, making disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Greg is not going to do that very well. This guy right here. As good as he can high-five and encourage me, it's going to be a sad, sad journey. Do you believe that the gospel changes people? Do you believe it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone? Is it normal for you to talk about Jesus? You know, when Jesus comes into situation, things change. That's the truth. It may not feel like it right away. We need his grace and his mercy each day. And he gives it afresh every morning. But church, we need the gospel. It needs to be on the tip of our tongues. It needs to be at the forefront of our minds. It needs to be in everything we say and we do. That's why I wish it was Easter every day. Because when I carry the gospel, things just seem to go better. I'm going to land the plane just reading um, from this book here that I have purchased. And if you want a really good book on prayers, uh, The Valley of Vision here, it's by the Puritans. It's, it's, it's really wonderful. And uh, I just want to elevate the cross and, and the gospel as I, as I land. Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy. 
Cast off that I might be brought in. Trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. Surrendered to hell's worst that I might attain heaven's best. Stripped that I might be clothed. Wounded that I might be healed. A thirst that I might drink. He was tormented that I might be comforted. Made a shame that I might inherit glory. Entered darkness that I might have eternal light. My Savior wept all tears. Sorry, my Savior wept that all tears might be wiped from my eyes. My Savior groaned that I might have endless song. He endured all pain that I might have unfading health. Bore a thorny crown that I might have a glorious glory diadem. Bowed his head that I might uplift mine. Experienced reproach that I might receive welcome. Closed his eyes in death that I might gaze on unclouded brightness. Expired that I might forever live. Father, I am so grateful for for you. I'm so grateful for the price that you paid for me. And not only died, but you rose again and left me yourself. I've been made alive in you. I've died in you. I've been made alive in you. God, may it be the fruit of our lips. May it be the fruit of our actions and our decisions, Lord Jesus. May it be our every day so that others might know the surpassing greatness and wealth of you, Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus. Bestow your mercy and your grace on us for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.